Hello, music enthusiasts. Welcome to Sound Encounters, a music podcast where I explore new and classic releases, different genres, and your favorite artists and bands. I am your host, Cesar Torres. Thank you for joining me today. Episode 20, the big two zero. Man, it feels like yesterday when since I started this podcast and um, made it finally made it to big the big two zero 20 weeks of doing this podcast and uh since this is such a special occasion you know hitting double double digits um i have an another essentials album prepared for you guys this week so you have that to look forward to later on in the show but for right now i want to talk about album acronyms because i found a list on the internet of these album acronyms. Um, I didn't find it on Twitter. I didn't find it on Instagram. But since you know I'm, I'm bringing it up, you should follow the Sound Encounters Instagram and Twitter accounts at Sound Encounters. Uh, you might you might like what you find. I found this list on a music community Discord, actually. And you know sometimes we when we talk about music or albums uh, in discussion, like on the internet, like on Discord, Reddit, we take the longer album titles and condense them into these acronyms so that, you know, we don't waste time typing out the entire album because there are some albums that have really long titles. I'm looking at you, Idler Wheel by Fiona Apple. You see that album title is so long that you don't even say the full name. You just say the Idler Wheel. (laughs) But anyway, I wanted to test myself with these acronyms to see how many that I actually knew. And I'm not taking this full list. I, I kind of condensed it. If I posted this full list here and I started running down the entire list of these acronyms, then we'd be here forever. Maybe you could test yourself at home too. See how many you get. The first one on this list is MBDTF. That one is super easy. It's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, Kanye West's album from 2010. Man, this album has been in so many discussions, uh, um, specifically whenever Anthony Fantano brings up Kanye or whenever you see um, discussions of Kanye on Twitter, everyone always talks about MBDTF. <laughs> I almost got it wrong there. But that, but that's because it was an important album. Um, man, freaking Pitchfork gave it like a 10 out of 10. Fantano gave it a 6. Now we talk about it and it's, you know, some people consider it still like a 10 out of 10 classic or modern classic. Um, Whereas, eh, you know, some people like myself wouldn't really consider it Kanye's best album, but we can still appreciate it and, and, and realize how important it was to rap at the time and especially in in Kanye's career. So that's MBDTF, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. The next one is TLOP, TLOP. And that's, I'm guessing, The Life of Pablo. I don't think I know any other albums with that specific acronym. Another Kanye West album. Another very divisive one. I enjoyed it. Um, But I know around this time, uh, or I should say recent Kanye has been a little divisive. But you know what isn't divisive? T-Pab. T-P-A-B. T-Pabber Butterfly. Then we have, of course, by Kendrick Lamar. And then another album by Kendrick Lamar. G-K-M-C. Good Kid, Mad City. OKC. Has to be like that Radiohead album, OK Computer, even though that wouldn't really fit OKC. But I don't, I, I can't think of any other albums with uh, uh, that would be shortened to OKC. And then another Radiohead album, I'm guessing, is IR in Rainbows. Then we have DSOTM, and I can only guess that that's um, Dark Side of the Moon, and then by Pink Floyd, and then WYWH. Um, is this Wish You Were Here by Pink Pink Floyd? 
I think so. Guys, look, I'm having I'm having kind of some trouble, so I'm cheating by looking at my Spotify library. Um, actually, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. I I, I won't look at it anymore. Um, the next one on this list is TVU and N. I think the Amper Stand gives it away because that's clearly the Velvet Underground and Nico. And next we have ITCOTCK. Uh, it's not in the aeroplane over the sea. Oh, okay, okay. It has to be in the court of the Crimson King. Next is RIL. Um, RIL. I, I don't know that one. We'll come back to it. Next is easy because I was listening to this album recently, but it's SFTB, which is Soundtracks for the Blind. Or no, STFB. My mistake. Soundtracks for the Blind. Um, phenomenal album. Uh, Swan's last album before their 10 plus year hiatus. I've been listening to a lot of Swans. Guys, you better prepare your ears for a, a Swans guide because I've been listening to a lot of them. And if it doesn't uh, inspire me to make a guide, then uh, I don't know what will. Next is MPP, clearly Meriwether Post Pavilion. S-I-L-Y, it looks like silly. Um, don't know that one either. Well, I'm going to skip this one because I see the next one on the list and I know this one. It's, it's S-A-W, Saw, clearly selected Ambient Works, 85 through 92 or Volume 2, whatever. Um, yeah, Saw is easy. TMS is, I feel like TMS could be a lot of albums. Um, it could be the money store, but I'm only saying that because the next album or the next acronym, I should say is NLDW, which sh should be no love deep web. So if it's no love, if that one's no love deep web, then TMS might be the money store. I feel like TMS could apply to a couple of albums, but I, I can't name some off the top of my head right now. The next one is RTL. It's not run the jewels, <laughs> clearly. Um, every time I see RT, I, I, I want to, or, or three three letters and the first two are RT, I want to say run the jewels, but um, that can't be it. I, I don't know the, the next one either, MOP. Um, nope. Uh, moving on, we have LGWAFS. Uh, you see, it, I, I want to say it's ladies and gentlemen, we are floating in space, but it's forgetting the amper stand or a for and and I for in. So I don't know what LGWAFS. Do you guys think it's ladies and gentlemen, we are floating in space by spiritualized? Um, I, I don't know. And the last one on this list is RTJ clearly run the jewels could apply to either of the four run the jewels albums could even apply to the band itself. I'm not sure. Looking back on this list, I skipped RIL. Um, nothing's come to mind and I, I, I turned off my Spotify library. Um, so I'm not going to cheat using that. And then S I L Y could be since I left you by the avalanches. Okay. But why is the I included in that one, but not in ladies and gentlemen, we floated, we float, we are floating in space. Could again, could not be that spiritualized album, but I'm not sure. And RTL and MOP, I'm not a hundred percent sure what, which, two albums those are um maybe you guys have an idea of what rtl and mop are send me a voice message on anchor or tweet at me at sound Connors on twitter what do you guys think these acronyms are again it's ril um rtl ril and rtl and mop sorry i just 
had I was thinking for a bit. Maybe I could. I, I thought I figured it out, but I I don't think I have it. Let me know what you guys think these albums are. And I'm if you enjoy this segment, I might pull another list of album acronyms and uh, I might play this game again. I think that was fun. It, it really, you know, I don't t- t- discuss a lot of albums on online. Actually, that's not true. Maybe just a little bit on Reddit, but. I don't think I'm using that many acronyms in conversations. Do you guys do you guys use a lot of acronyms in conversations like on Twitter or Reddit or something? Maybe it's just a maybe it's just a me thing. Maybe I'm a fake bitch not participating in online discussions, online discourse. Again, you could tweet at me at Sound Encounters or send a voice message through Anchor, which you would find the link to in the podcast description. I got a great show for you this week. Gonna talk about another essential album but first as always we gotta talk about this past week in music so unfortunately we had another dry past week in music and not a lot to talk about but we do have an lp and an ep that i wanted to discuss but before we get into that of course we gotta talk about the singles I heard Life from the Abyss by Denzel Curry, which is a rather short song, but it's still relatively a great song from Denzel. You know, we got a lot of gritty production, and although it's short, Denzel's bars are tight. He talks about protests, BLM, President Trump, and his xenophobia. Um, Ultimately, I think it's a very powerful message to relay in a song, and it's released a month before uh, Election Day, so I think he knew what he was doing when he was releasing this. Yeah, go check it out. Again, barely like a minute long. Definitely less than two minutes long, but still, really good. You can't go wrong with Denzel Curry. Next, I heard Gwendolyn by Jeff Tweedy. This is the third single from his upcoming album, Love is the King. And uh, as you would expect, the guitars and the melodies sound pretty standard for Tweedy's brand of folk and Americana. The guitar riff, though, sounds very rock and roll inspired. Um, but overall, it's a cute little song. Not not that interesting, though. Um, I thought the lyrics were a bit generic as well. Um, the melodies were also a bit generic, but, I, you know, I'm not complaining. However, I will complain over these next two Smashing Pumpkins songs because they're still on their quest to release disappointing song after disappointing song. And here are the two new singles, Anno Santana and Birch Grove. I'm not 100% sure on those pronunciations or or at least for the first uh, uh, song, but you are probably tired of me talking about them saying the same things over and over again, but that's because all these singles are committing like the same crimes, just generic and dated synth pop compositions. Um, and if that wasn't enough, Corgan's vocals are just not doing it for me. They're, they get really grating at some point and I just can't stand his vocals. So sorry to all you Smashing Pumpkin fans out there. I'm I'm just not digging these new singles. I'm kind of waiting for the album to drop because once it does, this nightmare will be over. Although I'm sure I'm going to not have a great time uh, listening to that album if it's anything like these singles. And then last I heard Timeless, a new single from Benny the Butcher featuring 
Lil Wayne and Big Sean. Another track from your friends at Griselda. Um, I think the production on this song was really clean. It has a catchy beat. And you you better bet, as soon as I heard Hit Boy's producer tag, I was all over this song. I was, I was into it. But um, unfortunately, it's not his best work. It's not terrible either. It just didn't really held my attention as much as, uh, let's say, his production on like King's Disease, the new Nas album. Um, still pretty good. Love my boy, Hit Boy. Uh, but other than that, the hook is very catchy. In that hook, actually, we get a shout out to Conway's album from King to a God. So that was really nice. It really shows that the Griselda group are, are sticking together. Um, Wayne and Sean also had uh, pretty good verses. Can't complain there. There were good features to have on this track. Um, overall, it's a very average track. If Benny is releasing a new album soon, then I'm excited as well. Um, especially if Hit Boys on production on on other songs or the entire album, um, I'm just hoping it's a bit better than this track. And then moving on, we got EPs, or I should say one EP, because I heard "Sleepless Night" by Yola Tango, which is a small collection of cover songs. Um, they've done projects like this before in the past, and this is their latest release into that collection of cover song projects. Sleepless Night features low-key acoustic folk songs. They're very soft and comforting, and and it's a feel that I got when I heard um, one of their albums, which I think is an underrated album, Fade. Got that same vibe, got that same feeling, especially on songs like Bleeding and Smile, A Little Smile From Me. Very lush and elegant instrumentation and mixing. Although they mix it up a bit, like on Wasn't Born to Follow, I, I love the upbeat tempo and the playfulness of that song. Or even taking it a, a step further on songs like Roll On Babe with its gentle and sereneness. Um, and usually I get that feeling whenever Georgia Hovley's on vocals. Got that same vibe I did when I listened to Two Fade back then. And by far my favorite cover on this track is the Bob Dylan cover of It Takes a Lot to Laugh, It Takes a Train to Cry. What I really like about this track is how much the band transformed that song. Hubley's quiet and somewhat haunting vocals and the reverbed chords give this song a feeling of isolation. Um, But it doesn't stop there because the drone, the background drone, bumps it up to like an 11. Usually I'm not that big on covers. I, I really don't care for them, but because Yola Tango changes it up so much, it kind of becomes their song now. If I didn't know that this was a covers EP, then I was just like, man, Yola Tango really wrote some stellar songs here, but their style and their influence really takes over on this album, and or EP, I should say. <laughs> and uh, because of that, it really heightens the quality of these compositions great covers ep check it out if you love yola tango you're gonna check it out if you love yola tango but check it out if you like soft gentle serene compositions and finally the lp i heard this week was as long as you are by future islands future islands is a synth pop group i really like a lot of their music because they strive when it comes to rich and calming as well as poppy and energetic synth pop songs. And this is kind of everything you're expecting from a Future Islands project. We have exuberant and catchy songs like For Sure, 
Waking and Plastic Beach, as well as the slower and moodier songs like I Knew You or Moonlight and Thrill. And while they're not doing anything different here, it's still a nice album to put on, do a little dance, maybe vibe a bit. Some highlights for me are are singles for sure because of its poppy and energetic beat, especially on the chorus. Love the lyrics too, as it's a song about love and trust. Waking is also another high point on the album with more bright synths, another catchy hook that kind of repeats itself, and optimistic lyrics about what is happening now in the world, our current situation, and how we really can't afford to sit back and not say something, call something out whenever we see it. And while these might be the highlights on the album, they're just cute little songs. They're not really reinventing the synth pop wheel. Future Islands are doing what they do best. And of course, that is heightened by vocalist Sam Herring's vocals. The standout vocal performances for me are, again, for sure Waking, as well as The Painter and Hit the Coast. And while Sam takes control of a lot of these songs due to his vocals, I can't say the same thing about the synths and the guitars because they do sound very derivative and it makes it difficult to really pay attention to their compositions or really appreciate them. And because of that, I don't really end up caring for a lot of these songs like Born in a War, for example. But again, they pay it off with that catchy writing or, or sometimes the slower and moodier songs as well. If you could say anything about Future Islands, you know, you got to give them credit for creating these moods and atmospheres that are easy to just get lost in and appreciate. They really excel at that point. But other than that, I don't think I'm really going to return to this album as much because I don't just literally listen to the music for the vibe. But if that sounds appealing to you, then definitely check out this album. It truly is a decent release. There's more good than bad on this record. And come on, who could hate Future Islands? And with that, that concludes this past week in music. We're going to take a little break, but when we come back, I'm going to talk about that essential record. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to Sound Encounters. Before the break, I promised I was going to talk about another Essentials album. It'll be the second entry into Sound Encounters Essentials. Also during the break, I realized that I did not specify which album I'd be talking about. Um, Although you probably uh, already know based on the title of this podcast episode. But for the second entry, I will be talking about Spiderland by Slint. Before we get into the record itself, I should talk about who Slint is and some background into this record. Slint is an experimental rock punk group from Louisville, Kentucky. The first lineup consisted of guitarist and vocalist Brian McMahon, McMahon? Uh, David Paho on guitar, drummer Britt Walford, and Ethan Buckler on bass. However, Ethan was only credited on their first full-length album, Tweez, and after hearing the final mix of Tweez, um, which was produced by the legend himself, Steve Albini, um, he was kind of unsatisfied with that mix and left the band. Thus, the band had to look for another bass guitarist, and they found Todd Brashear. Spiderland has this reputation 
of being one of the most influential and important records in rock history. Even though Slant only had like two full-length records and a double-sided single, actually some might consider that very impressive. But what's more impressive, in my opinion, is that Brian, Britt, David, Todd were all in college when they wrote and recorded this record, which would have made them around high schoolers when they recorded Tweez. So to be that young and write just a huge page in rock history is just beyond impressive. In fact, the story of Slint starts when they were preteens, because Brian and Britt both met in elementary school. Back then, they were connecting over their love of music, and even back then, they were making music. As teens, they would form punk band Squirrel Bait, which was a huge band uh, in the Louisville punk scene. And eventually that group dissolved and they moved on to create something different. Both Brian and Britt were heavily influenced by prominent post-hardcore acts, Minutemen and Big Black. That's why they chose Steve Albini to produce their first flanked album, Tweez. And speaking of Tweez, you know, we can hear the, the foundations of Spiderland in that record. You know, syncopated guitar riffs, complex and shifting song structures, and foreboding rhythms. Tweez was a challenging work in itself and should definitely be talked about, but we're here to talk about Spiderland. Maybe I'll do a, a, a podcast on Tweez one day. After releasing Tweez, the band focused on their next full-length album. Practices were spent repeating the same guitar rift for hours and adding in layers of nuance on top of them. Brian would record vocals with the use of a four-track tape recorder, and he whispered vocals in his parents' car um, while playing the band's loud music over the car radio. Brian was also involved in a life-threatening car accident that altered his mental health, and due to that car accident, that near-death experience, it kind of affect the, the final product of the record. Minneapolis producer Brian Paulson produced Spiderland, and the music was recorded live with vocals overdubbed afterwards in no more than two takes and with little to no rehearsal from Brian. They would have two microphones in the studio with them, one to record uh, softer spoken word vocals and another for louder singing parts. After recording was done, Brian checked himself into a mental hospital where he was diagnosed with depression and subsequently left the band which means there were no interviews, no tours, no photo shoots to promote the album. They just, as soon as this album was dropped and people were listening to it and got curious as to who Slint was, you know, they would dig a little deep and realize, oh shit, this band already broke up before this album was released. And it's a bit of an odd cover art as well as it's just a picture of the four guys floating in a quarry, staring at the camera, smiling. No band name on the front, no album title, just that picture of the four guys. And surprisingly, throughout the years, this album kept attracting more and more fans. Thousands of copies were being sold each year after this album was released, and it's a legacy kept growing over time. But what exactly makes this a groundbreaking piece of work? Why did some band members quit immediately 
you know, being diagnosed with depression. Well, in order to find that out, I think we need to go through this album track by track, starting with Bread Crumb Trail, which is a hell of an opener. It introduces listeners to core elements of this record, that being spoken word passages, odd time signatures, and the shifting of those signatures and syncopated riffs. The song starts with a, a fairly clean riff, actually, with harmonics and Brian's low speaking voice. And as I'm describing it, you might not think, oh, you know, that doesn't sound too bad. But in actuality, it is actually pretty intimidating if you don't know what is happening and what you're listening to. For one, the riff, the main riff, is in 7-4, and you can't really focus on what Brian is saying because he is whispering or, or he's, he's speaking in a hushed tone. And while it doesn't sound like a lot, hearing it for the first time, it, it's a lot to take in, actually. And when it feels like you've finally gotten used to that odd time signature and you realize, oh, you know, this guy's just going to whisper the vocals, he's just going to talk and whisper... That's when all hell breaks loose, because after the first verse, the guitars get loud and distorted. There's an ear-piercing note. Brian starts shouting, and this section changes to 12-8 and 15-8, eventually returning to that opening rift. It's a roller coaster of a song, which I think is an appropriate description given how the lyrics talk about a roller coaster and a carnival. Clearly, the music is something that is just mind-blowing, but the lyrics are also just, they're, they're very important. Initially, the song tells the story of a man and a carnival riding a roller coaster with a fortune teller, but because the music is so intense in some parts, especially after the first verse, there's no way it's just about that. In my interpretation, at the beginning of the song, Brian is in his childhood, and he connects his childhood with this pirate ship, which is an important motif. It'll show up later in the album. He gets sidetracked when he meets this fortune teller and she asks him if he wants to know his future. However, he's just like, you know what? No, let's go on this roller coaster. And already he's going off the beaten path, not looking for the pirate ship, but actually going on a roller coaster with this woman. And I think that this is a metaphor for sex and they both come out of that experience different but at least they have each other. After Brian is done explaining what happened on the roller coaster, she is dry heaving, but the operator smiles at her and says, who said you could leave? And with that lyrics, I kind of interpret that as sex being this life-altering experience for some people and possibly the point where they are mature now, maturity takes over, or you can never go back to that childlike innocence. It's a song topic that we've all heard before, I'm sure, but Slint kind of elevates that and has their own spin on that trope. And because of that, it is such a unique experience. I was shocked when I first heard Breadcrumb Trail, but you know, after listening to it, I knew that I would never forget that. Those riffs, that ear-piercing sound, those time signatures will stick with you forever. And I think that's an important thing that I try to convey as the lyrics also talk about something important you will never forget, a life-changing experience that you will never forget. Moving on, we have the second track, Nosferatu Man, and we're back to the odd time signatures as the first two verses are in 5-4, the choruses and the pre-chorus is in 6-4, there's a transition from the second bridge to the final verse that's in 7-4, the second bridge itself is in 15-4, and then it alternates back to 4-4 periodically. 
it's fucking nuts. We also hear manic vocals and heavy distorted guitars and feedback. The guitars are beginning to sound more dissonant, and we hear the ear-piercing notes again. This time, the lyrics take inspiration from the classic 1922 film Nosferatu, which is a movie about uh, Dracula and vampires. In this song, the main character is a vampire, and he takes the life of his wife as we hear lyrics of him seeking his teeth into her and her body being lifeless. While the lyrics aren't as impressive on this one, at least he told it from this perspective that makes it interesting. And of course, the music is is, is always interesting on this record. Then we go to the third track, Don Amon. And it, it, it's kind of a jarring experience going from Nosferatu Man to Don Amon because while Nosferatu Man is very loud, very abrasive, Don Amon starts and you can feel Walford's lips on your ear. He's very close to the mic and he's he's sort of whispering the story of the song to you and that's right we don't have brian on vocals instead we have Britt walford he takes lead vocals and guitars on this song the melody is very unsettling as repetitive guitar chords are playing and they're very muted it's the first time on the record where the vocals are mixed higher or he could just be so close to the mic that the guitars sound quiet in comparison but honestly it matched walford's very hushed vocal delivery then after the introduction of the song the guitars gradually increase in tempo until it becomes loud and distorted eventually returning to the soft and slow riff at the beginning the chord progression is supposed to mimic the anxiety of the main character of the song don don is an introverted soul that goes to a party in the song He's there wishing he was drunk because he's thinking too much about the things he said and how stupid they sound. I can definitely relate to that, although I don't really go to parties. I just think about stupid things I might have said to my friends before. He can't even go to the bathroom because he's too nervous. Then when you hear the tempo increase, that's when Don starts fixating on so many things and starts to get nervous. You know, the lights, the conversations, the stares that his friends are giving him. I'm guessing he has a breakdown because he just books it out of there and and drives home laughing to himself. I'm not sure if this is interpreted as him kind of laughing off the situation or he feels sorry for himself or he, he feels pathetic. Because when he wakes up the next day, he decides to kill himself. This is a very isolating and bleak song, both lyrically and musically. You know, the band is really great at setting this tone for not only this song but for the rest of the album i really appreciate this song because it is so real i can imagine this happening to somebody in real life and and because of that it just catches you off guard and it's i don't know it's it's just something that i didn't think music could do and if a song about a man killing himself at the end of it isn't enough the next track washer is dedicated to a man committing suicide and writing a note to his lover while Don Amon is anxious and sickening, Washer is very tragic and cerebral. We're back to Brian on vocals here, and I'm really glad he took this song because he just sounds really into it. He sounds in character. There's that devastating feeling to it, but he's also really concerned uh, for his lover. And then the instrumentation really adds to this desolate atmosphere as well, especially the main guitar riff as it's the starkest sounding instrument on this song. And I say it's a cerebral song because the lyrics are like poetry. I want to read to you one of my favorite lines, actually the last couple of lines of this song. 
Don't let this desperate moonlight leave me with your empty pillow. Promise me the sun will rise again. I too am tired now. Embracing thoughts of tonight's dreamless sleep. My head is empty. My toes are warm. I am safe from harm. Now, I think this little bit is interesting because he sounds unsure at first. He makes pleas like, don't let the moonlight leave me or promise me the sun, sun will rise again. And I kind of interpreted this as the moonlight being death and, and sun being life or sun being a second chance at life. He wants to see the next day. He's really just contemplating this decision. And then finally, he comes to terms with what he wants to do, especially when he says embracing thoughts of tonight's dreamless sleep. And then what's really haunting about this song is when he talks about my head is empty, my toes are warm, which I picture, you know, his head is empty because there could be a bullet wound through it. And then the blood sort of trickles down to his toes and makes his toes warm. Uh, really haunting stuff. But really the line that gets me is the last line. I am safe from harm because it, it feels like he's really content with his decision at this point. And that's what makes it really devastating. But man, you got to give it to Brian because he puts his all into this performance. His dedication really sells the emotional appeal of this song. And then next we have For Dinner, which is an instrumental piece. Um, and while it has no lyrics, it's still a standout track because it's definitely the most unique track out of all six of them. It's probably the quietest song on this record. And I'm not sure if it's just because it's mixed lower than the others or they were playing far away from their microphones. I'm not sure. It probably is because the mix was lower, but it begins with these menacing chords, one chord being repeated constantly. We talked about post-hardcore last week, and I feel like you can label this song as, as post-hardcore because the goal of this song is creating and building tension, which is exactly what we get with those repeated chords, building tension and then playing with release of that tension. We also get the band playing with atmosphere on this song and playing with different chords and drum snares. It's another track that also plays with the loud, soft dynamic. Eventually, the song ends with the one chord being repeated again, building that tension until it's resolved with a single interval change. I kind of overlooked this song when I first heard the album, but give it some time if you think it's kind of unnecessary because the true beauty of this track is the buildup and release of tension and, of course, the playing around with the atmosphere. And that leaves us with Good Morning Captain, the last track on this album, the track I've probably spent the most time listening to. It's a good culmination of the album because it takes all the elements of the previous five songs we've heard and mash them all together into one masterpiece. We have an atonal guitar riff, sinister yet catchy bass line, and disturbing vocal delivery with a story to match it. Oh, as well as hushed vocal delivery and soft and loud dynamics, playing with the soft and loud dynamics of the song. The pre-chorus is quiet and intimidating. The, the chorus erupts with loud, distorted guitars. And that's basically the song. It switches between that initial atonal guitar riff to the quiet and intimidating pre-chorus to the loud and distorted chorus. There's a part where the guitars are playing and it resembles the sound of an anchor being hoisted up. And when I first realized that, it fucking blew my mind. And the reason why it blew my mind is because the lyrics 
talk about a captain surviving a shipwreck and, and seeking shelter. It seems like the band took inspiration from the Rime of the Ancient Mariner story, but because Brian sounds his most sinister on here and the guitars sound the most sinister on here, it takes a very disturbing tone. Eventually, the narrative shifts away from the story of the captain, and now it sounds like it's Brian's story as he's talking directly to us and saying, I'm trying to find my way home. And that's when the pirate ship motif comes back in, because if we take the interpretation that the pirate ship resembles his childhood and the pirate ship pops up back up on here, he's saying that he wants to return to his childhood. One of the most iconic lines on this record is talking about how he's sorry and he misses you. He says you, but we're not sure what he's talking about. He could be talking about leaving Louisville, you know, leaving the place he grew up in, leaving his childhood behind, leaving his family behind, possibly. Again, another connection to the childhood narrative. He could be telling us that he feels like the captain lost at sea. He's not sure what he's doing. He's not sure of his mental health. Again, this was recorded after his his life-altering car accident. And then finally, the song ends with Brian screaming, I miss you, which has to be one of the greatest emotional vocal performances I've ever heard. Literally, I, I, I think about this song. I hear the song and then I think about this song and I get goosebumps. I'm, I'm getting goosebumps right now. It's such a profound moment in this song that it moves me every time I listen to it. And because now Brian is in the shoes of the protagonist, this could have been a very personal and emotional song for him. We know for a fact that this was the last song that they recorded, and Brian screaming on this track physically and emotionally drained him. He was sweating after recording this song. And of course, he checked himself into a mental hospital where they diagnosed him with severe depression. So... This song really took a toll on him. It took a toll on the entire band as it was disbanded after uh, the recording of this song. This song and Brian's last I Miss You really serves as the period to the Spiderland or the Slint sentence. It was the final nail on the coffin for Spiderland and for Slint. And while Spiderland's story ends there, its legacy continues even today. Throughout the decades after this was released, music fans have experienced its bleak and innovative music. Slint really created a world with Spiderland. You know, I truly believe you can hear these songs and, and be transported to the world of Spiderland as the atmosphere and, and the stories make it feel like it's a lived world and you are there. It's hard for me to give an album a perfect score because so many things need to go right in order for me to, to, to say like, yes, this is a 10 out of 10 perfect album. And that's usually why I don't have many 10 out of 10 albums uh, or, or consider many albums a 10 out of 10. But Slint really shows the innovation in both the music and the stories that they wrote that there's no way I can't give this a 10 out of 10 and call it a perfect album. It's what keeps me coming back to this album just perfection in both fronts. And while Slint might have had a short-lived career, their name and their music has survived for years. And with that, that concludes my discussion on Spiderland. If you haven't heard this album, go listen to it right away. And if you have heard this album, do you agree with my assessment? Is it one of your favorite albums of all time? Would you also give it uh, the title of an essential album? Let me know. 
hashtag Spiderland Sound Encounters on Twitter. Uh, you can use that hashtag and I'll be looking at it. Or you can send a message on anchor.fm, a link in the, in the podcast description. I'm looking forward to what you have to say and what your thoughts are on this record. I am probably going to go listen to the record again after I'm done recording because it's such a good record. Truly an essential listen. Well, that does it for this week of Sound Encounters. Hope you enjoyed the show. I think I might do a Sound Encounters Essential every 10 weeks or so. Um, I thought about it and I was just like, you know what? I like that formula. I think we're going to go with that so that every 10 weeks I talk about an album that I love, an album that I think is important and holds a, a special place in my heart. Let me know what you guys think of that lineup. If uh, yay or nay, tweet at me, Instagram me, anchor me, you know the drill. And make sure to tell your music-loving, music enthusiast friends about this show. It'd be greatly appreciated if you brought in more music enthusiasts to the Sound Encounters experience. And leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you yourself like the show. That'd be great exposure for me. It'll help me a lot, and I would appreciate it and appreciate you. Follow the Sound Encounters Twitter and Instagram at Sound Encounters. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and it could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Do you have a question or suggestion for me? Then visit the Twitter or Anchor page and submit your question. That too could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Thank you to Soundstripe for their wonderful selection of music, which I use today. And thank you for tuning in and listening and supporting my little show here. I'm Caesar. this has been Sound Encounters, and I'll see you next week.